This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Hi, everyone. Welcome. It is Thursday, October 19th. I am recording this podcast by myself in my little studio space. All the doors are open because I wanted to let some light in. So if you hear a little, um, you know, construction noise, it's happening around here. Um, So I went to see Depeche Mode last night and it was great. It was at the Hollywood Bowl. And, And yet, I don't know if it was because I had seats that were like, Oh, almost nosebleed seats because I won them through a radio station or what. But it was really interesting because I found that um, I just didn't feel connected to anything. I felt, um, I mean, they were incredible. They were passionate and soulful and tight, 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 tight and fantastic lighting and stuff. But I never felt that I could just surrender myself to the experience um, like I used to be able to. And I don't know if that's me or if the way the world is or what. I mean, the very last song they played, and they played for hours. It was great. Um, They played um, Personal Jesus. And I did get in the aisle and dance a little bit and uh, with this guy who'd been dancing all night. And that felt incredible absolutely incredible um as dancing always does for me dancing is my portal to to my body to my soul to um to what's real you know uh so that was cool but it i really was just noticing how i don't know how and I and it, it's like you don't want to force something to happen. You don't want to like force a magical moment because you can't. <laughs> Forcing a magical moment doesn't. It takes the magic out. But I've just been noticing lately that um, I don't know. There's something about my life and what I've lived through the last eight or nine years, and there's just a lot less magic in it. So I've written some things down that I wanted to share with you today. Um, One of which is, so this question about, is there a path back to a relationship with the numinous? Um, This sense of connection to something bigger than me. And, um, you know, once you've given up your childlike dependence on um, the magical thinking of like your parents' illusionary positions in your psyche, um, like I like to say, mommy is a witch and daddy is a god. That was not not consciously and not into my adulthood all the time, but certainly growing up, uh, that was how they were like imprinted on me. Mommy was an alcoholic witch and daddy was a god on the TV. <laughs> so I had to take them down from both of those positions and my mother clearly became whole to me into my 20s and my 30s, thank God. And my father, um, especially the last 15 years, has become more human to me. He's no longer a God. So, and I even in the last, I'd say four or five years, 
three years maybe, have recognized that the other place I had a lot of kind of magical thinking projection was onto Hollywood and fame and success. Um, And people may be surprised by that because I grew up in it. But I think it even affects those who are even closer to it in some ways. Um, my dad never got over getting being starstruck. So there's, there's, so there's like a, a projection onto these people and this magic. And, and, you know, stepping into the spotlight for myself was, I knew, a huge risk. Because I knew ultimately the last, when I did that, when I decided to do my solo show about my family, and really decided to step into this, out into the world in the spotlight as my father's daughter, I knew I was risking a lot because I knew I would ultimately be disappointed and realize that, as I knew intellectually, that there's no magic, there's no pass you get, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> as we've seen the last week with Harvey Weinstein. And he got a pass for a long time, and a lot of people have, but there's certainly, and it's nice to see that there's really no pass happening out in the world. I've always felt that Hollywood is the most soulless, horrible, soul-sucking, life-sucking place. Um, not art, not art-making, and not filmmaking, and not great storytelling in whatever genre it is, but the business of Hollywood. I, I've always avoided it, but I, I wanted to try, I wanted to step into it and own it in order to disappoint myself, in order to know that I was going to be ultimately having to put down, you know, and click my click my heels in the red slippers and know that the, actually I had the power the whole time to own the magic of my life, that it doesn't come from being on a stage or having fans or writing a book and being on NPR or something like that. You know, it, it does, in the, in the end, you have to wake up the next day with yourself. So so I've let go of that magic. I've let go of the parental magic. So a lot of this kind of fairy tale stuff, you know, I've really had to grow up the last nine years on a lot of levels. And so this growing up has taken its toll, certainly on me. And, um, and God, you know, I know I'm privileged. <laughs> I know I'm white. I know I came from a great family. And all of that. But this is, a, this is an inner work. This is inner work that we all have to do to be adults. Is let go of some of these fantasies we, we've grown up with. That are either our family imbued in us or the culture. Or just being human. Just growing up we get fantasies, you know. And so with all of this letting go of the magic and letting go of the fairy tale and the, and the fantasy... It, it's left me at times in a, a big place of despair and uh, a real f- feeling of ar- aridity, A-R-I-D-I-T-Y, just a, a sense of deadness, you know, a, a sense of existential crisis. Um, and then I'll bounce back a little bit and I'll get engaged in something and all of that. But then... But then this last year has happened and it's just, it feels like an existential crisis on such a big level. Um, I wrote here this morning, um, 
I've even given up on the collective's body politic to con my mind into believing the ideal of the nation state. I used to be a big fan of the founding fathers and Emerson and all that stuff. And I still am on some level, but I used to want to believe that there was like a magical course for this country that if we really did stick, stick with these ideals, we would rise above our most base human nature. And that, that may still be true. I mean, maybe that is what ideals are for. I mean, you never reach them, but they are something like a North star. So I wrote, where did Emerson and Thoreau go next? I mean, they must've been disillusioned too on some level. And then I wrote, is this why Sylvia Plath put her head in an oven? <laughs> is that all there is? Is that all there is? You know, that great Peggy Lee song. The promise of my morning tea seems to be the only holy land I allow myself these days. Sweetened bitterness with a jolt of hope to combat the dull boredom of another disaster, another impossibility. There is a man with a dangerous personality disorder in the White House. He will not admit wrongdoing because he is incapable of seeing his wrongdoing. He can only think, feel, and do within the confines of his very narrow mindset. He is trapped in this disorder. He is trapped in this psyche. And we are trapped right now in this na as this nation in wanting to him to be different, in wanting him to be a person who has emotional intelligence, who has the capability for empathy, who has um, thinking beyond what happens in a narcissistic personality disorder, which is literally the person can only experience the world centered upon themselves. They are completely incapable of anything else. And I bet there are the majority of you out there who've had to deal with someone with a personality disorder before someone who has um, a, a, someone who's got narcissistic tendencies or a full on blown personality disorder or um, a borderline personality oppositional. I mean, there's a lot of these and what personality disorder means in the psychology world is it's an entrenched set of characteristics that, you know, not a little talk therapy or a pill is going to help. It's, it's, a, it's a set personality in such a way that in order, I mean, there really is no changing this. There's no hope, there's no changing it. So I think what's starting to dawn on me and why I find social media and certainly mainstream media, but certainly the shows that I tend to watch because I'm progressive or listen to, like um, MSNBC or even my dear friend John Fugelsang or Jimmy Dore on the Young Turks, um, any of these places where they, they take a position in opposite of what's going on out there, um, it's endless frustration because it's going to be endless frustration. They're all complaining about 
the non-normalcy of this person and wanting him to do something different. And this is our own definition of insanity, people, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. So looking out at him and looking at his thinking and his administration and his approach to governing um, and wanting it to be different every single day is our own insanity, is our own pathology. And I need to find a new uh, strategy to be in relationship with all of this because I don't want his personality disorder to make me feel insane. As you know, when you're around other people who have entrenched personalities like this, um, they will start making you feel insane, 100%. And so I cut these people out of my life. Now, can I cut this man out of my life? Can I no longer watch any coverage, not, at, not know anything about what's going on in the world? No. I'm too much of a person who um, cares and wants to actually does believe in voting and does believe that there is at least some way to shape our experience here in the culture. Um, you know, systemat systemat systematic, systemically, it's an entrenched system. I get that. And money really runs it right now. But I do believe in engaged citizenry. I do believe in engaged Buddhism, really, which is where I come from. So, so just knowing that he's got this personality disorder and that you can't expect him ever to do anything normally and that everything he'll do when he encounters any other part of what a president is supposed to do, he's going to do it his way and it's going to enrage you Unless you are a person who is a fan of his or voted for him or needs, you know, needs to solve your cognitive dissonance. And so you're going to find a way to look at him so that it makes sense to you and that you can explain it to yourself. And yes, I'm explaining it to myself right now by explaining it through the psychology filter of the personality disorder. But, um, but this is how I, encounter all humans. And I believe that psychology has a lot to say about this. So, so anyway, I just wanted to offer that out there um, to not, not help you disengaged from the real world, but to maybe to be able to engage it in a way that it doesn't throw you around like a bucking bronco, because that's what it feels like every day. And we've got the gold star family thing going on this week. Um, he's that's what he said to that woman and that family. He felt like he was being empathic and sympathetic. He really did. That's the best a narcissistic personality disorder can do. They can only make it about themselves. And if they parrot words that other people give them so that they can do it right. It just sounds like parroting and it comes out wrong. That's why when he reads the teleprompter, it just, it comes out so flat because it's just not connected to who he really is. So that's what I have to say about that. Um, and it's, 
It's interesting. I was up in the woods over the weekend. We were there for four days and it was really hard to come down the mountain this time. Normally I, I come down and I'm ready to get into something and face the world. But man, I could have stayed up there. I could stay probably all month <laughs> and just stare at the trees and just be in a rhythm with nature and walking and my own thoughts and writing and communicating in this way, but, but really not having to deal with the real world. And what's kind of prompted all this for me is yesterday I tweeted, uh, I tweeted, I am bored with this dystopia. I'm getting bored with this. I am. I'm getting bored with the uh, domino of, a f of events that happen. So it's like something happens in the world. He does his presidential thing. And then the left gets an outrage and the right gets in the outrage about the left's outrage. And then there's all, all there is is outrage on social media. And it's been a year now. And uh, I'm bored. I'm bored with this dystopia. I want to choose something different. I want to choose to be with it differently because that's all the control I have is my relationship to what's going on around me. So this got me to thinking a, a lot about um, how to re-engage the numinous. What is the numinous you are asking? The numinous is a relationship with the aspect of life that feels bigger than us. It's bigger than the ego. It's sometimes it's, it's a felt experience, an actual feeling of the numinous is that sense, you know, I get it a lot in nature when I'm, you walk into a grove of redwoods uh, we went on a hike the other day and we hiked up this hill for an hour and came around the corner. And the whole reason we hiked was we came around the corner was to see this tree, which my friend's son had jokingly or not so jokingly called the tree of life. And it was this incredible old incense cedar, which is supposed to be a very sacred tree, especially for the local tribes. And it, it was, we came around a corner. It was like, oh, wow. There it is. So, you know, part of what has happened by giving up this magical thinking around Hollywood and my, my, my parental units in my head and, and even spending more time around skeptics and atheists and people like that, which swing way over to one side for me. Um, that, that took me, you know, that took me out of my ability to have a relationship with my active imagination, with this sense of the imagination. And so I, I was, I picked up a book, which is one of my favorite books. Where is it? Oh, here it is. <laughs> um, it's called the archetypal imagination by James Hollis. And, um, 
I had to read this at Pacifica. It's one of those books that when you when I read it, I wanted to eat every single page. It was just so delicious because it it helped me sit inside a perspective that is a perspective that going to Pacifica Graduate Institute invites you to be in, which is this it's you know the, the the motto of my school was anima munde calende gratia tending the soul of and for the world and as i say in my solo show i know that sounds very woo woo to some of you but it's not meant to be woo woo it's not meant to be otherworldly it's not meant to be ignorant magical thinking this is about going beyond the rational into the irrational but not from an ignorant position it's about understanding and this is what i wrote today his thesis is just like our other two human instinctual needs biological and social there is a third the archetypal the archetypal that leads to cultural and spiritual expression and then i wrote but even more importantly can we see that the realm of the imagination is not quote all in the mind or quote mere fantasy but is real as the biology that has us craving an apple to satisfy hunger or the p- healing power of the human touch on our body's nervous system the same carbon hydrogen and oxygen atoms that makes those things possible also make my ability to feel and see meaning in my life the world is not dead and it and it is not a magical construct of a fairy tale to rescue me but it is a conversation between an incredible instinct to make meaning and inhabit images and this conscious mind that life on earth has bequeathed us humans we have this very unique position having this frontal lobe this conscious mind and with that comes the ability to imagine and that imagination therefore and everything that comes every concept every thought that comes with it gets to be as real as my heartbeat it's a couple of great quotes in this book that i love um one of which is um Pablo Picasso says everything you can imagine is real everything you can imagine is real because everything we think about is is a creation of this mind anyway so it's it's all present it's here I might not be able to touch eternity and it might just be a concept but the concept of eternity is real and therefore how do I get to have a relationship with it It just kind of makes my mind go <laughs> I mean Albert Einstein said imagination is more important than information And that's not fanciful That's not bullshit. This is a man who used his imagination, these incredible thought experiments 
in order to crack open the deepest mysteries of the physical universe. I just, I find that so beautiful. And so today I was sitting out on my deck, reading a little bit of this book, really thinking about this and really inviting myself to connect to the power of imagination and how using it with our rational minds, you know, I'm not, I'm not a person who thinks that Thor is having thunder, (laughs) is making thunder, but what is it like if we let ourselves be in relationship with this archetypal level, which is all that art is. So this whole book is about the different ways we have a relationship with archetypal imagination. One of which is obviously spiritual, religious imaginings. Another is literary imaginings. Another is um, visual uh, image the image painting, uh, you could even do movies and anything else imagery. And then about therapy and the soul and the human psyche, the personal psyche and the collective psyche. And what is it like if we are to invite and let things be wider and bigger than this rational world wants us it to be? the mainstream world that feeds us the processed canned version of life. These are my big thoughts of the day. (laughs) And it's funny too, because I've been teaching a lot this summer, or it's fall, it's fall, uh, this, a lot of meditation and mindfulness, which is really great. And, and talking and teaching in more layman terms about, different concepts around that impermanence and being in the moment and, and all that kind of stuff. But even dipping too deeply into that, I find I lose this relationship with the numinous and the imagination and image and the power of it. So I'm, I'm just trying to think about how to move forward with all of this. Um, People say we just made it up. You know, if you 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 think of like, um, oh, this tree is talking to me. Oh, you're just making that up. Yeah, but exactly. That's exactly true. It's, it's, It's all made up in the end. It's because it's all being filtered through this brain and this mind. And I know the tree doesn't have a voice and isn't languaging with me, but I, I have cells that are in common with it. I'm looking out at my coral tree right now. And there's some level in which it does talk to me. Instinctual, ancient, archetypal relationship of all humans to trees. We grew, we evolved with these objects on the planet. I don't know what it is exactly, but, but when I honor it, and I honor the conversation with the tree, God, my life is, is richer. It really is. And I feel more connected to everything and I feel less alone and I feel less um, 
susceptible to being pulled into all the bullshit. So maybe hugging a tree is really a great thing. Like we know it is, right? <sighs> all we have in this life are made up. Every thought, word, artifact, social construct, naming analysis, it's all made up. We're all making it up. We are making it up machines. It's all a construct because we have these brains that construct. Some things we construct with our bodies, mainly shit and piss, <laughs> right? Some things we actually construct with our hands, actual objects, making a meal even, houses, cars, all of those things. Some things we construct inside relationships, babies, organizations, collectives. I think of like early man's ability to hunt in a group. And that's how we like made it evolutionary wise. Like this language thing that we did, we create language in relationship. And then within our imagination, what we create thoughts, language, again, art, image, amazing. So I'm going to give myself permission to know that I construct all of this and that it doesn't mean that I'm buying into some woo-woo version of the universe. Like, like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to think about getting a blue bicycle and then I'm going to get one. But I am going to let myself be a constructor of my own reality and know that I participate in it in every moment. And so therefore, if I participate in every moment, then how can I do it in such a way that I feel empowered, connected, part of the aliveness of the entire planet? And not just locked in this body, this sack of flesh and bones and this mind where I feel so separate and alone, but how do I do it so that I feel even in relationship to symbols, images, powerful moments, a wind gust? human ev events and endeavors and even this strange time that this country finds ourselves in how do I relate to it so that it's part of the imaginal archetypal realm and understand that it's not personal it's not a personal thing to me this is where we're at. This is who we have. And how do we love our ways, love ourselves, love this country, even love this extremely broken and wounded man through this? And like agape love, you know, like that big love, that big wide love, compassion, Human compassion.
So I think that's all I have this week. Nice to share it all with you. I will be um, in the next four weeks putting up an offering for some end of the year stuff that I'll be doing. If you want to take an adventure with me for a couple of live webinars and help yourself sort through this year personally, your, your goals, your dreams, your visions, your inner life, what are you letting go of? What have you let go of? What have you been facing? What obstacles? Uh, and then help yourself kind of examine all of that and then sit down and really connect to and ground yourself in a position and a perspective that could help you step into the new year with um, an empowered way, an empowered position, uh, a more conscious position even. Um, uh in order to just set your feet right in the right direction at the beginning of the year, you know, we'll end up going off on all sorts of <laughs> tangents as we always do in our lives, but a place to come back to. So I'll be putting that up on my website in, um, in the next couple of weeks. And, um, and then also putting up an offering for when I'll be starting this, um, continued, uh, space where people come to sit with me every week. For 90 minutes, we do a little sitting meditation and we we just do a little gathering and I talk a little bit kind of like this, but, but more really pertinent to how you're coping in your own life and with the collective and, uh, and then doing some deep digging too, which is really nice. Using that master's degree, I've spent so much money on finally <laughs> and my coaching certification too, of course, uh, but it's been really lovely being able to sit with people. So I will be offering that in the new year and uh, I'd, I'd love all of you to join me. I, uh, I want to step into some big things next year in this, in this, in this realm. And uh, I'm looking forward to it, doing it my way, doing it, whatever. Anyway, uh, you guys have a great week. <sighs> Remember, you're dealing with someone who's got a personality disorder in the highest office. I don't know if that's comforting or not, but it's real. And uh, just remember, he's, he's very limited. He's very limited in how he reacts to the world. So don't expect him to do something different or be someone else, because he won't be. And, uh, and all right, I think that's it. Uh, I want to thank uh, Logan for editing the uh, podcast this week and uh, thank Depeche Mode for rocking it at the Hollywood Bowl. And uh, thank you all to you, uh, those of you who watched here on Facebook Live during the live taping of this and all of you who subscribe to this podcast and support me and uh, let me into your mind and into your ears every week. I... Uh, it's a real honor. I'm, I'm grateful. So see you guys later. Have a good one. I remember when I was a little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced to the burning building out of the pavement. And I stood there 
shivering in my pajamas and watched the whole world go up in flames. And when it was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's Twelve years old, my daddy took me to the circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears, and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And as I sat there watching, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but when it was all over, I said to myself, is that all there is to the circus? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. That's all there is And then I fell in love With the most wonderful boy in the world We'd take long walks down by the river Or just sit for hours gazing into each other's eyes We were so very much in love And then one day he went away, and I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep... I know what you must be saying to yourself. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment. Because I know, just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, Is that all there is? Is that all there is If that's all there is My friends Then let's keep dancing Let's break out the booze And have a ball If that's all There is